I want to uh, invite you to open, in, in fact, uh, stand with me as we read uh, the passage this evening. We're going to start with a, a short passage, so I want to invite you to stand. been sitting down for a little while, uh, so if, if you would like to stand as we read this passage, you're only going to read two verses to start tonight, and that's in Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to open there in your Bibles tonight, Matthew chapter 13, this very short parable that Jesus uh, spoke but uh, I believe it's profound for us tonight, and especially as we move into the next couple of weeks as a church, our 80th year we're celebrating as a church, our 60th missions conference, uh, these sort of milestone moments for us as a church. I think that, that this verse and the principle that it contains uh, really has uh, something to speak. The Lord has something to speak to us through it tonight. And so Matthew chapter 13 and again, just these two little verses, starting in verse 31. It says, He, that's of course Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for the time that we've already had, the, the testimonies that we've heard of, of how you're working and, and how you're moving. And Lord, we know that you're working and moving in our lives as well. We thank you for that. Speak to us tonight through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this very uh, short parable, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to just hold that in your mind, and we'll, we're going to circle back around to it uh, in a little bit. But again, as I've been thinking on uh, the missions conference coming up, the missionaries that are, are already coming into town and will be coming into town, and uh, the ones that we support and that we stand behind... You know, my, my thoughts again began to go towards the, the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And, of course, the Philippian church, you know, as we've been studying the book of Philippians uh, now for several months, I, I, my thoughts were just stirred up again on, on Paul and the relationship that he had between this church and, and the unique relationship that he had with, with this this church, it, it was a unique relationship. And the relationship that we share uh, with the missionaries that, that are, we support and that are a part of our church family, it's, it's also a, a unique relationship that, that we are a part of. And so I want to look again quickly at the circumstances surrounding Paul planting this church in Philippi and the way that they blessed him and his ministry, and just pull out for us tonight a, a few of those principles. And so we, of course, see this, this story of Paul planting this church in Philippi in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, if you want to flip over there tonight, we're not going to read any extended passages, but I might highlight some verses for us as we go through there. But th this was Paul's second missionary journey. He, he started it by picking up a young man named Timothy who joined him in Silas. Actually, he started the trip by breaking up with his other uh, ministry missionary, actually one of his mentors in the Lord, Barnabas. And him and Barnabas couldn't agree on who should be a part of the missionary team. And so they split up and... Uh, as far as we know, they never got back together, kind of like the Beatles. But um, anyway, so they, they split up. Paul and Barnabas, they can't agree. Uh, John Mark, I guess, was their Yoko Ono. I don't know why I'm bringing up all the Beatles references. But anyway, uh, so they split up. And so the, the trip starts kind of on rocky ground. They, they can't agree on who to bring. They go their separate ways. Paul uh, takes with him Silas. And they pick up a, a young man named Timothy. And then they travel around visiting the churches that they had planted on his first missionary journey. And then Paul's desires to go into Asia, or what we know as Asia Minor. 
to go into the regions of, of Turkey and, and even into the Middle East. And for some reason, we don't know, but the Holy Spirit doesn't let him. Though he has the desire to take the gospel to these people, the Holy Spirit forbids him from doing so. And so Paul finds himself really with his back up against the sea and nowhere to go. And the Lord in the night gives him this vision, this Macedonian call as it's become known, where he was asleep one night and a man from Macedonia, he had a dream, he had a vision. And that man was calling out to Paul saying, come and help us, come and minister to us, come and preach the word to us. And it says immediately they set sail for Macedonia. And so as they make it into Macedonia, the first city that they stop in is the city of Philippi. This is now Paul transferring from preaching the gospel in the Middle East, preaching the gospel uh, in that region, the region where Jesus, of course, lived and, and, and Israel and all of the Middle East, Asia Minor. And now he's moved now across the sea from the Middle East into Asia. And the first place that he stops in, I'm sorry, not Asia, into Europe. And so he's now into Europe, into a new continent. The first place that he stops is in Philippi. And, and he ministers to a group of ladies, a group of women who had gathered for prayer. And we read about the first converts in, in the European continent. A woman lame, named Lydia, we see in verse 14, that Lydia was there with a group of ladies and Paul and Timothy and Silas. They sit down and they share the good news. They share about what Christ has done. And it says in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And it says after her, she, after she was baptized, that her whole household was baptized. And so this lady, Lydia, comes to faith. Her whole family comes to faith. The first converts in the European continent. We look around this room and we all believe in Jesus. I, I Probably the vast majority of us, we believe in Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Just like the, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the gospel, so the Lord has opened our hearts to receive the gospel. It's not unusual for us in, in the United States, in Texas, in San Antonio, to meet perfect strangers that call upon the name of the Lord, who, who themselves are believers in Jesus Christ. But up until this point, we, we, all, we now know of only one family who is a believer in Jesus on this entire continent. And her name is Lydia and her family. And I want you to see how amazing this is, how, how, how special this is, how th this church, not, not a church, I'm sorry, it's not a church at this point, it's just one family in all of Europe, and it's in the city of Philippi. And then as Paul continues to, to stay there and to do ministry there, he ends up, uh, him and his missionary team, staying with Lydia and her family in their home. Then he ends up being followed around by a girl that's possessed by a demon spirit. Paul casts the demon spirit out of her. It tells us she's a slave girl. She's owned by people using this demonic oppression in her life for profit, for her to tell the future about people and through this demon power. And so Paul casts the demon out of her. Well, all of a sudden, she's of no value to her masters because she doesn't have this demon spirit in her anymore. And so her masters throw the whole city into an uproar and have Paul and Silas taken before the magistrates, taken before the Roman officials. And the, a whole huge mob joins in. In verse 22, it says, the crowd joined in in attacking them. The magistrates, the, the leaders of the city, the governor of the city, or the mayor of the city, if you will, tore the garments off of them, okay, ripped their clothes off, and gave orders to beat them with rods. No due process, no trial, no innocent until proven guilty. No, mob violence strips them down publicly and beats them. And it says when they had inflicted Many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Verse 24, it says, after receiving this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks and bonds. And so there they are, beaten, bloodied, because of a good thing. Now, if we do a bad thing, we should expect to reap the rewards of that, right? But they, didn't, they weren't doing a bad thing. They didn't get caught doing some sort of drug deal. They, they didn't get caught human trafficking. No, in fact, they set a girl free from it. And they are publicly shamed and beaten with rods, thrown into the inner prison. And we see it time and time again. The, the gospel is advancing, but there is opposition to the gospel. And that's the first thing, again, I, I want to underscore to you about this relationship and the ministry of a missionary and, and a kingdom expansion. There's often extraordinary circumstances. Here, Paul and Silas, in, in extraordinary circumstances, the, the gospel advancing but opposition arising. Of course, we know the story. Paul and Silas, they begin to worship God. They begin to praise God in prison. They don't let their circumstances rob them of their joy. They don't let their circumstances change their outlook on life. They don't say, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, how could you? And if you're good, why is my situation so bad? No, they don't let the devil get the victory in that situation. Instead, they begin to praise God. How can they praise God in the midst of their circumstance? Because God is always worthy of praise. And so they begin to worship God. They begin to praise God. They begin to sing His praises in the midnight hour, it tells us. And in the midst of that, verse 26, it says, Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The jailer thought that everyone had escaped. He had fallen asleep on the job and he wakes up and sees the prison doors open. He assumes that all of the prisoners would have escaped. For some reason, they didn't. They stayed there, which is shocking. Nevertheless, they stayed there. He pulls his sword. He's about to fall on his sword. And Paul cries out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all still here. Verse 26 says, The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and your household. They put the emphasis on Jesus. They never missed an opportunity to share the gospel, to present the gospel. That's what they were there for. That's what they were called to do. It didn't matter who was in front of them. They shared Christ. They put the focus and the attention on Christ. Though they could have escaped, they could have said, thank you, Jesus, for opening the door. We're out of here. But no, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit and because of this, this jailer, it says that he took them that same hour and at night that he washed their wounds. He was probably the one that beat them up, but he was the one that then washed their wounds and that he was baptized at once, he and all his family. What a beautiful picture. He there washing their wounds, Paul and Silas there then baptizing him. What a beautiful picture. Him and his whole family turned to Christ. And then they send them out of the city. The magistrates, they, they get rid of Paul and Silas the next day. They say, you can't stay here any longer. We want peace in our city. And so they must leave. And so we see the extraordinary circumstances surrounding this church, the birth of this church. It's not an easy thing to take the gospel to people that haven't heard. It's not an easy thing to expand the kingdom of God. This is a picture of uh, what our missionaries go through out on the foreign fields, on the front lines. It is the front lines that they're out. It's, it's not as easy as it is here in the United States. It's not as easy as it is where we live. It's not so comfortable. 
And our missionaries are out there. They're, they're, they're sowing the word of God. They're facing opposition. They're on the front lines. And so we as a church, we get to partner with them. We get to support them. We get to lift them up in prayer. You notice Rana and Christy, they're the, what they said over and over again tonight was, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. You know, that's something that all of us can do. All of us can do. It doesn't take any resources to pray. All it takes is for you to, to go before the Lord and, and to, to stand in the gap, to intercede. And, and they know, the missionaries know that what, what you, they need behind them are the prayers of the saints. They know that it is spiritual battles, that it is spiritual opposition, that they need the, the, the covering of, of prayer going before them. And it's just a picture for us of what so many missionaries go through. And so we see the, number one, of course, the extraordinary circumstances. And of course, as we endeavor to serve Christ and follow Christ and to live our lives for Christ, we'll see opposition. There'll be, there'll be times where it's not easy to live for Jesus. Certainly not like in other countries where Christians are openly persecuted. Thank God for the freedoms we have in this country. Thank God for that. But nevertheless, living in a broken world with the flesh, sin, and the devil, it, it, there's opposition that we face to live for Christ, temptations that we face. If, especially if you are a first-generation Christian, it, it's difficult, it, it's not easy, all of this is new. Jesus said the, the path to following him is the narrow road. There is opposition as we try to live for Christ in this world. So that's the first thing I want to highlight to you about the, the Philippians and Paul is these extraordinary circumstances. But then I want to draw your attention secondly to the eternal results. The results. Yes, the circumstances were difficult, but lives were changed for eternity. Eternity. Lydia and her household believed this slave girl set free from demonic oppression. This jailer and his whole household called upon the name of the Lord. We know others in the community began to turn to faith in Christ. Their lives changed for all eternity. Yes, there's temporary price to pay. Yes, there's opposition. Yes, they were even beaten with rods and thrown into jail. But all of that was temporary. The results were eternal. You know, this missions team that went down to Mexico, the, the, it, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of sacrifice. There's expense to go. They take time away from their families. They take vacations. They pay a great price to go. But all of that is temporary. But the results are eternal. The kingdom of God being sown, those seeds of the kingdom being planted there in that colonia, in that community. Amen. Those seeds are going to bear fruit. You see, I want to remind you again of that parable that Jesus said. That the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a small seed, a tiny, tiny little seed. It's almost imperceivable. It starts out so small. But then he says it, it grows into this massive tree and, and it even grows in, in, in the vision of that um, King Nebuchadnezzar saw in the book of Daniel. It was this little pebble that was cut out from a mountain, but that this rock, it grew into this huge mountain that filled the whole earth. The kingdom of God is like that. These small seeds that are planted, this, this family that is taken, yes, a new house, thank the Lord for that, but the gospel message that comes along with it is worth so much more than that house. And it opens their heart to receive. When we go in the name of Christ, when we do things in the name of Christ, we expand the kingdom of God. We're planting those seeds and those seeds begin to grow. And those seeds don't produce temporary results, but results that last for all eternity. In verse 34 here, it says that he brought Paul and Silas into their house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced 
along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. The joy of the Lord filled this household. Hearts changed. Lives changed. You can't put a price on that. We try to measure everything in dollars and cents. We try to measure everything in in return on investment and and ROI and, and all of these natural standards. The kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. The kingdom of God operates on faith, on people stepping out in obedience to the Lord. And then God moves and then God gets involved and then His Holy Spirit changes hearts and changes lives for all eternity. And likewise, our missionaries, as they work and as they labor in their fields, they are seeing results that last for eternity, eternal results. And also in our lives and in our families, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, the the work that He's doing in our lives is a work that will last for all eternity. Eternal life. The Holy Spirit is working in us and he's, He's changing us. And so, again, the extraordinary circumstances, but the eternal results. And that brings us thirdly to the, the final point tonight is what I'm calling a kingdom legacy. A kingdom legacy. If we flip over to Philippians, and you should know where that's at in your Bible by now. Flip over there uh, quickly. Philippians chapter 1, again, chapter 1. Not only should you know where it is, you should have it memorized by now, I would think. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3, Paul writing to them, of course, from prison in Rome now, many years later. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Why is Paul's prayer in remembrance of the Philippians filled with joy? We know he didn't feel this way about the Galatians. He said, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You are deserting the gospel of Jesus. That's how he opened his letter to the Galatians. He opened his letter to the Corinthians saying, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. That's how bad you guys are doing. But his letter to the Philippians, he says, all my remembrance, always in every prayer for you making all of my prayers with joy. What? Why Why is he so filled with joy? He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because this church, this Philippian church, did something that none of the rest of the churches did that Paul planted. This church stood with Paul. This church supported Paul. This church blessed Paul, prayed for Paul, sent relief to Paul, sent teams down to visit Paul and to encourage Paul. And so now Paul is in jail again, in Rome again, having to stand trial again. He's been in jail for two years at this point. But nevertheless, as he thinks about the Philippians, joy fills his heart. Joy fills his soul because they partnered with him. They supported him. They encouraged him. They gave him strength to keep pressing on. If you flip over to chapter 4, verse 14, we learn that that they had sent a messenger to Paul in prison to bring him support, to, to bring him encouragement. But Paul begins to remember this missionary trip, the second missionary trip, though it's it's been now at this point about 15 years since Paul planted this church. In verse 14 of chapter 4, he says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, I was run out of town after being beaten up, thrown in jail, 
that no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, his next stop on his missionary journey, you sent help for my needs once and again. Listen to this, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Think about this. He's telling the Philippians that as they partnered with Paul, though, though Paul was the one being beaten up, though Paul was the one being thrown in jail, though Paul was the one enduring hardship and trial and, and, and persecution and all kinds of threats and danger, because the Philippians stood behind him, because they supported him, he's saying that they themselves are laying up treasure in heaven to their credit. You know that when we get into the kingdom of God, when, when, whenever the Lord returns and establishes his kingdom, you, you know that we will receive rewards. Do you understand that? We, we will receive rewards for working for the Lord. What we did for the Lord will be rewarded. The, Jesus tells us that clearly in the Gospels. And, and what the, the amazing thing is, is that we get to reap the rewards of people that are being beaten up, being thrown in jail, all of the hardship that they're enduring. If we stand with them and encourage them and support them, Paul says that the reward increases to their credit. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And so next week, as we have missionaries coming in from all over the world, as we enter into partnership with them, Yes, we do it to support them. Yes, we do it for the kingdom of God. But I want you to know that when you do so, you are also laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven, an eternal reward that cannot be taken away, that inflation cannot touch. Amen? You put $100 in the bank two years ago, in three years it's going to be worth 75 bucks if we're lucky but not so in heaven. Eternal rewards. Eternal rewards, this eternal mindset. And because of this, the Philippians, had a, they left a legacy for the kingdom of God. They left a legacy. They had encouraged Paul along the way. Think about it. What would have happened if Paul had become so discouraged because he had no one supporting him, no one praying for him, constantly being beaten up, Man, you think about how easily we can become discouraged sometimes. But think about Paul. Shipwrecked, snake bit, all of the things that he endures. But he kept pressing on. Who, who knows how many times he may have been hanging on by a thread. But here comes some support from the Philippians. Here comes a letter. Here, here comes some, some, some finances. Here comes some people to, to surround him and encourage him. We never know how close people could be to giving up. But we can strengthen them. We can encourage them. We can be a source of joy for them in the midst of a very hard and difficult season and circumstances. This is the legacy, the kingdom legacy of the Philippian church. Because of their partnership with Paul in the gospel, new churches were planted. New congregations were birthed. And even books of the Bible were written. Books of the Bible that, that now reverberate throughout all of human history. Even us sitting here tonight, some 2,000 years later, are being blessed by the sacrifices made by the Philippian believers 2,000 years ago. This is how the kingdom of God works. Because when you invest in the kingdom of God, you're investing in something that will never end. Something that will never end. God's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, will never end, ladies and gentlemen. Because we have a king who is eternal. His kingdom it's not like an earthly kingdom that had a beginning and an end. No, his kingdom 
will, will go for all eternity as he sits and rules and reigns on his throne for eternity. We sang that song tonight, All Hail King Jesus. All Hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. And for all eternity, we will praise him and reign with him. When you invest in the kingdom of God, you are investing in something without end. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about giving offerings. Yes, that's important too. But to enter into partnership, to enter into relationship. There's missionaries coming here next week from all over the world. Yes, we want to bless them. Yes, we want to send them out with some offerings. But more important than that, if we could enter into relationship with them, giving and receiving in life, in, in, in standing with them in prayer, I tell you what, that'll mean more than $1,000 in the bank to them. That'll, that, that there are some things that money cannot buy. That encouragement that we can give, that we can, can, can impart to them. And, and guess what? Did, did you hear what the missionary team said tonight? They said, yeah, we went down there. Yeah, we built them a house. Yeah, we blessed them. But guess who came back the richer? We did. Guess who was blessed the most? We were. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. You, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outbless God. When you sow into others, when you bless others, when you encourage others, guess what comes back on you tenfold? The Bible says, press down and shaken together. Listen, if you're discouraged, you know what you need to do? You need to go encourage some other people is what you need to do. If you're finding yourself depressed and down and, and, and defeated, guess what you need? To, you need to go encourage some other people in the Lord. And what you will find as you start to serve others, as you start to lift others up, that the blessing comes back on you ten and a hundredfold more than you could ever imagine. If you know that to be true, say amen. 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 The Philippians have this kingdom legacy, but guess what? You can have one too. You can have a kingdom legacy too. I'm reminded of the story where Paul is put on trial and we see it in Acts chapter 25. I'm not going to have us turn there tonight, but Paul is put on trial before these very important people in the world's eyes. They had prominence, they had position, they had power, they had wealth. King Agrippa, he, he's, he comes in and Paul's put on trial in shackles and, and they come in with their big old parade and their big old entourage and this military force and, and all of this grand, the Bible says pomp, all of this just grand show of display of their wealth and their power and then they bring Paul in before them. Paul who's been in jail for two years, Paul who's been forgotten in Caesarea Philippi, and, and they sort of bring Paul out to, to basically as their entertainment for the day. They, they're just bored and they have nothing to do. So they say, oh, well, let's just listen to see what Paul has to say. And so they drag Paul out of prison. And there stands Paul. A man who in their day and time was on the lowest rung of society. Totally insignificant. And here he stands before these people with position and Roman governors and, and appointed by Caesar and King Agrippa and royal bloodlines and, and all of the, the things that the world would say matters, that the world would say is important. And nothing has changed. Our world still believes that for you to be important, for you to have value, you have to have power or influence or wealth for you to have significance, that these things matter, that, that your value is somehow tied up in how many followers or likes you get on Facebook and Instagram. We live in a culture that is totally idolatrous of celebrity, whatever method of sports or music or movies or whatever, that, that's what matters, power, wealth, influence. It's the same it was in Paul's day. And here stands Paul 
in prison, in shackles. But let me tell you something. The Roman Empire today stands in dust and ashes. The kingdom of God still standing today. Still marching forward today. Amen. The only reason you would even hear the names King Agrippa, Festus, Felix, these Roman governors, the only reason you would ever even hear their names is because they interacted with the Apostle Paul. A man who in their day and time seemed totally insignificant, but throughout the course of human history, other than Jesus Christ, probably had the most effect on all of human history because of the way God used him. Because he was part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. Listen, when you invest in the kingdom of God, when you invest in the kingdom of Christ, you invest in something that will never end. This is how the kingdom of God works. There stands Paul. He begins to... They, they are putting him on trial, but as soon as he opens his words, guess what? He puts them on trial. He, he's the one that, that, that puts them on trial, and he calls them to faith in Christ. He says, you're standing before me one day, but one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. Though, though you may be putting me on trial today, one day he's going to put you on trial. He reminds them of a kingdom that's bigger than Rome, more powerful than Rome. We live in a world today that is much like that day. But we need to not, as believers, be, be sucked into that same value system as the world. Amen. Because we're part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. Now, unfortunately, we don't see the results in our lifetime. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Most of the results of, of our sacrifice and labor and what we do for the Lord, we won't see until eternity. We have to live with that eternal mindset. If we're going to build an eternal legacy, we have to live with an eternal mindset. We can't live with a Burger King mindset. Have it your way and have it now. If, if we live with that kind of Burger King mindset, we're going to get Burger King results. It doesn't last. But if we live with an eternal mindset, we might even feel powerless in our life. We might feel like even like our life doesn't matter. I want you to know that that is not the truth. And these stories tell us that it is not the truth the stories of the Philippians, the, the story of Paul, these people that in the world's eyes were totally insignificant. Nevertheless, their lives are echoing throughout eternity and all of human history. And our lives, if we live them for Christ, are the same way. We plant seeds today that won't be harvested, some of them for 10, 25, 50, 100, even 1,000 years if the Lord tarries. We have to live with that kind of mindset. We can't live with the kind of mindset that we're just living for right now. We're living for today. Listen, the world is living for today. We're not living for today. We live for eternity. And so we need to be thinking long term. We need, we need to be thinking about the next 10 years, 50 years, 100 years from now. How, what are we doing now that will bear fruit in the next generation and the generations that follow because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's planted. It seems so insignificant. Jesus dying on a cross that first Good Friday, just some Jewish teacher that got crossways with the Roman establishment, and they killed him. On that day, it was so insignificant. In the eyes of the world, it didn't matter. There weren't news stories that went out. Nobody knew about it. Who was this Jesus? Nobody knew. But today, that kingdom, though it started so small, is growing and growing and growing and growing. And the Bible says that that kingdom will fill the whole earth, that the glory of Christ will cover the earth as the waters cover the seed. 
uh, waters cover the sea, and that kingdom that, that is growing, you and I are a part of it. And one day, that kingdom will fill the whole earth. Will fill the whole earth with his glory. And you and I likewise, the seeds we plant, the things that we do, the sacrifices for the Lord, they may, they may seem so small and insignificant, but if they're sown into the kingdom of God, they will grow and they will bear fruit and they will, will manifest in ways that we will never see on this side of eternity, but that they will echo throughout all eternity. There was a man who lived over a century ago. His name was Reverend Thornton. I bet none of you know who he is. But this man did something that has changed and impacted your life. He lived over a hundred years ago. You don't even know his name. 110 years ago, this man was a missionary Baptist, a Baptist missionary. And he invited a young man into his home to stay with him. A young man who didn't believe in Christ. In fact, he was an antagonist against Christ in the Bible. This Baptist missionary, Reverend, I don't even know his first name, Reverend Thornton began to minister to this young man. Because of this man's ministry to this young man, some 20 years of age, this young man was converted to Christ and spent the rest of his life as a missionary. The young man that was converted 110 years ago was the founder of this church, Leonard W. Coote. That man, my great-grandfather, planted hundreds of churches, Bible schools. Through, through those Bible schools, thousands of churches on all the continents of the world. And, and it started with just one, the, the smallest of insignificant things. Just this Baptist missionary inviting a young man to come and stay with him and he, he, didn't, he didn't throw him away because he was against the Bible and against Christ, but he ministered to him. It was a small seed that was sown, but it's sown in the kingdom of God. And if you've been touched or blessed in any way by the ministry of Destiny Church, it's a direct result of what this reverend did 110 years ago. A guy you never even knew his name until five minutes ago. It's the same way with all of us. He, he, he never knew. He, he never could have seen the results of, of, of ministering to that young man. And likewise, you will never see on this side of eternity the fruit and the results of sowing into the kingdom of God. Maybe you just pray with a person who's discouraged. Maybe you just hand somebody who's down and out. You, you hand them a couple of, bill, of dollars and just so that they can go and buy their next meal and you tell them, God bless you. You pray with them. You, you encourage them. You never know. But when you sow into the kingdom of God, Jesus says it's like a tiny mustard seed. Seems so insignificant, but eventually it grows and it fills the whole earth. David Livingston was a missionary to Africa for over 30 years. He had one convert. 30 years. One convert. Yet he's known as the greatest missionary to Africa the world's ever known. Why? Because he paved a way. He opened a door. His one convert that he won to Christ won his entire village to Christ. And as missionaries began to follow in David Livingston's footsteps, that convert began to take those missionaries from village to village to village to village until a great revival began to spring out. For 30 years he worked and labored and had one convert when he died. Nevertheless, the result of his life, the result of his ministry 
continue to echo to this day. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. Continue to encourage. Continue to sow. Continue to, to live for Christ. It will echo throughout eternity. You will see in eternity the fruits of your labor. You will see in eternity the fruits of your sacrifice. Of course, none of this is to Paul's credit or to Leonard Coote's credit or to David Coote's credit. All glory to God. All glory to God. But God works through His people. And we can be an instrument. I'm telling you, we have a unique, as you as a part of Destiny Church, you have a unique opportunity to be a blessing to the nations, to touch people and lives that you will never see on this side of eternity, but that you will meet in that place that will be in eternity, I believe, because of the sacrifices that we make and the seeds that we sow. We see how those in past generations were faithful to God, but God is still working in this generation. God is not done with His work until His glory fills the earth. We will continue and we will work and we will labor and we will partner with missionaries and we will go and we will send and we will give and we will pray. And God's work will be done in our world and in our nation and in our families and in our communities and in the nations of the earth. We don't know but one name of the Philippians, Lydia, that's the only name that we know. The rest of them are unknown to us by name. Their names may be lost to history, but their names are not lost to eternity. Their lives echoing your life can echo throughout eternity if you will live it for Christ and for his kingdom. The beatings Paul took were temporary. The imprisonments were not permanent. The opposition didn't last. But what did last were the souls won for Christ. This is what mattered to Paul. And this is what should matter to us as well. Amen. I invite you to stand with me tonight. You know, next week we, we, we're going to be inundated. We're going to be flooded with a, a sea of people, of, of, of missionaries. And my prayer for each one of us is that we would, we would come away with a connection. We, we would come away with with a relationship, we would come away with a partnership that could grow, that, that could, could, we could be an encouragement to, to, to these that are on the front lines doing the work of Christ today. I know the world is a crazy time. I know that the world is shutting down again or trying to shut down and, and all of this. Listen, the kingdom of God doesn't stop. The kingdom of God continues to advance because souls still need to hear the gospel message. We cannot push pause on the kingdom of God. People are dying every day without Christ. The kingdom of God doesn't stop. The church cannot stop because souls and lives hang in the balance. And we have a unique opportunity to partner, to, to enter into these gospel partnerships. And so my, pray for, my prayer for us is, again, that, that we would be involved, that we would come, that we would hear, that we would, would meet the missionaries, that we would go and see their booths, that we would, would, would look for a partnership in a way that we can be a blessing in a way that we can support with encouragement, in a way that we can support with prayer. We live in a day and age of, of technological advancement where someone has a prayer need on the mission field, they, they, they can text us. We can pray for them in the middle of the night. It's amazing. It's not like the Apostle Paul. They had to send these letters and all of this. 
It's really unique. We need to take advantage of that. Amen? And so I'm going to pray for us, and, and I'm going to ask that as I pray that you would ask the Lord to, to, to speak to your heart, to open your heart, to enter into some sort of partnership with one of the missionaries that comes in. You say, well, they're, they're, they're so, they know the Bible and they know so much about, they served the Lord for so long. What, what could I offer to that? Listen, it's not about you. It's about the Lord working through you. It's about the Spirit of God working through you. The, the same Holy Spirit that's in them, that's enabling them to do the work, is the same Holy Spirit that's in you and I. So we need to not be intimidated. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Destiny Church. I thank you for the, the kingdom legacy that we have of, of partnering with, with missionaries, Lord, throughout the, the years and, and the generations that went before for uh, even the, the 60 years of missionary conferences that we've had and held. And Lord, we thank you for all of that and we celebrate all of that, but Lord, we're looking to the future. Lord, we're looking to this year, 2022, and we're looking to, to the next decade and, and the next century, God. And, and we want to be faithful in our generation to, to come alongside of those that you've called to go to the nations, to be an encouragement, to be a blessing. Lord, to lift up their hands and to, to lift up their burdens and to support them as, as they fulfill that call of God on their life. Lord, uh, this next week, I pray that you would sovereignly, divinely, through, through your working of your spirit in our hearts and lives, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to, to who it is that you want us to, to get to know, to who it is you want us to partner with, to, to who it is that you want us to enter into a relationship with, Lord, to bring life, to bring encouragement, to, to, to bring people that speak words of faith into difficult and, and hard circumstances. We thank you, God, that you are moving, that you are working. Lord, I pray that you would protect, Lord, those that are traveling. Lord, all of the restrictions, all of the chaos, all of the, the, the virus, all of, the, all of these things, Lord, you are sovereign over all of them. And so, Lord, we thank you that everyone who needs to be here will be here this week and that we, they will have your traveling mercies coming and going, favor at the border, favor at the checkpoints, favor on the plains, favor everywhere up and down, Lord, that they can get here and that we can be an encouragement to them and that your spirit would be poured out on our gatherings, on every gathering that we have. We thank you for it all. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.